Well, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it is an Everyone Wins Day. Get it? Everyone wins on Wednesday when you listen to the Bottom Line Show. I, I, I think it's kind of clever. Um, and so the phone lines are up at 800-227-5278. Give us a call and let us know. I mean, we tell you what you're going to win. I mean, that's the only thing. We've got a big prize package. And oh, by the way, if you've won something in the last 30 days, it's not Everyone Wednesday for you. It's everybody wins who calls in. We're going to have a call-in segment later. We're going to be talking about a fascinating new study out of the People's Republic of California here with regard to graduation rates for high school students and for college students and how one of the most seemingly you know, prosperous and highly educated states in the union can have the lowest graduation rate of any other state in the union as well. But if you'd like to win something, you haven't won something in a while and you want to win something, Teresa standing by right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting to me how many people have been quoting this uh, recent statistic with regard to the number of pastors in the United States who hold a biblical worldview. Now, by biblical worldview, what we mean, of course, is that you look at God's word, you see it as the inerrant, perfect, unchanging, infallible word of God, and then you live by what it says. Now, I know there are some people who say, well, now, wait a minute, Roger. I mean, you can't really say that the Bible is, quote, unquote, infallible because it was actually written by men. And it's true. There were a group of men who were part of the writing of the Bible. You know, Moses credited with writing the first five books of the Bible. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. You know, each of the gospel writers has their day, though. Uh, the book of Luke, Luke, of course, wasn't an apostle. He was a doctor who was uh, you know, kind of a friend of the cause. And he wrote not only the book of Luke, but also the book of Acts. Uh, the apostle John wrote Revelation. Uh, he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't martyred for his faith, per se. He was exiled to Patmos after being boiled alive in oil and then being, you know, he survived that. So he was able to go to Patmos and, and get the revelation from God. But it's amazing how many people I know that you know do not hold a truly biblical worldview. If you do believe that the Bible is true and right and perfect and pure and the living and active word of God as it explains itself, Hebrews chapter 4.12, the living God, uh, the word of God is active. It's alive. It does something to you. It's more than just a history book. When you read it, you can see Old Testament. There's all sorts of history put out there. I took a class in, uh, at Cal State Fullerton years ago on the Bible as literature. A woman who was a, uh, not a religious person at all, an academic scholar. I think her name was Dr. Rosemary Boston, if I remember. And she just loved the literary value of Scripture. It's poetic value. You know, the, the verse, the tone. The, it was, it, she loved it. And she taught that. That was her career. I don't know that she had a relationship with God, but she certainly had a love of the Word of God from that standpoint. But if the Word of God is true, then it is living and active. And what that living and active thing means is, yes, these words were written in the past, Romans 15, 4, or 4.15. Everything that was written in the past, I remember that kid's song, was written to teach us, hey! And, and therefore... Um, it, it's a benefit to us today, even though it was written thousands of years ago. But that's the fact that because it is living, you can read these words 
and you could see what's happening in God's word and how it interacts in your life as if it were written for you, as if it were written for me, as if it was written for us today. How many times have you opened up your daily devotional and read something? You said, oh, my gosh, Lord, thank you. That was, You know my exact situation. There are 7.8 billion people on the planet right now. And 4,000 years ago, you wrote something to David that just absolutely pertains to my life today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's that's huge. It's, it's huge. And it's so important for us to understand that the Word of God is living and active. But imagine going to church and hearing your pastor preach on something that doesn't sound like it lines up with that biblical worldview. Maybe that's happened before. Maybe it was a guest preacher and you didn't really know. Or maybe your pastor said something and you didn't really quite catch it. Maybe it was a Bible study leader, somebody who was engaged in that type of uh, work. Do you know if your pastor has a biblical worldview? I know a lot of bottom line show listeners would say, of course. Of course they do. I mean, he does, she does. Of course they do. And some would say, well, now, wait, if your pastor is a woman, then you don't have a biblical worldview because chapter and verse and others would say, wait a minute, doesn't it say this? And we sit down and reason together over that scripture. But Dr. George Barna dug into that question recently as part of his American Worldview Inventory 2022. He took a look at the number of people in clergy, found several thousand of them, conducted a survey from all different walks of life in Christendom. So from Protestant churches, from Catholic churches, non-denominational churches, also known as, quote, unquote, evangelical churches. And he asked them a whole series of questions. I want to say, it was, you know, George always is very comprehensive, 40, 50, 60, 80 different questions. They all have multiple parts. If you are in, uh, engaged in this type of, uh, uh, well, survey taking, if you will, they don't just ask you four questions, you know what? ABC News has a poll. Would you vote for this guy or that guy for president? And they, they just tell you that answer, but then you don't see what the question really said. Well, the George Barna questions are very insightful, very deep, very probing. And in this case, the results are rather horrifying. The number of American pastors who hold to a truly biblical worldview is less than half. In the evangelical church, it's about a third. And in one of the largest mainline denominations of Christians worldwide, it's under 10%. Well, we've got to understand how we got here and what kind of damage it's doing to our culture and, among other things, why this is happening to us right now. So I've asked Dr. George Barna to join me. He's going to pop in on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about the American Worldview Inventory on biblical uh, literacy among pastors and biblical inerrancy. But also, too, today is July the 13th, and if you can remember back to July 13th, 1985, that was the day of one of the greatest cultural all-across-the-board events we'd ever seen before, and that was the concert called Live Aid. Bob Geldof of the legendary Boomtown Rats group out of Ireland, I believe, uh, had really been taken with what he'd seen in terms of uh, uh, the poverty and the malnutrition, starvation in parts of Africa, and he wanted to raise awareness and raise some money, so... Uh, he uh, conscripted along with Midgeur from the band Ultravox to write the song, uh, Do They Know It's Christmas? It was a big hit released in Christmas of 84. The record sales raised a lot of money. 
Then, of course, the American counterparts said, we have to have our own version of it. And so Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, we are the world. But on July 13th, 1985, the world gathered, at least young adults gathered, at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia and Wembley Stadium in London to basically eliminate African famine. Thirty-something million dollars were raised, a lot of food delivered to Afrikaners, and it sat on uh, ports and it just it didn't go anywhere. Political pressure got in the way. But it was a great event. So all throughout the course of the program today, we're going to be featuring some Live Aid music and talk to our favorite researching bass player, Dr. George Barna, on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in a moment. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Well, today on the bottom line, we have some not so great news, but it's news that we can trust coming from a source that we really appreciate, Dr. George Barna. Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, but more importantly, a guy who almost he was this close to playing bass for one of the bands at Live Aid. 37 years ago. Dr. George Barno, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Is that, is that a true story? Did I just, am I spreading a false rumor here, Dr. George Barno? You are indeed. This is fake news. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's our kind of fake. Did, did you watch any of that? I mean, I, I have, we always have to talk music before we talk about real important stuff, but did you catch any of that at 37 years? I did. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you know, that was a big deal for me. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw the Queen movie basically before the oh, movie. Queen right. Right. Rhapsody, so yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty special event. Have we talked about how wonderful John Deacon is as a musician? I don't think we have. And and I think if we did that, we'd be among the first ones to do so. <laughs> you know, he is so underrated. Yes. yes. But uh, in a band like that, which basically is a power trio. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, he just added so much and, and he really kept the bottom going. Mm-hmm. Great, great bass player. I lo- love his work. And oh, by the way, I think I'll write a song. How about You're My Best Friend or Another One Bites the Dust? Or, you know, just every now and again, he just drops in a, you know, a top 10 smash and then goes back to silently playing his bass. I just say. Well, well, you know, when you read the stories about how all that worked out in the studio, and it's like they're sitting around talking about what should we do? And he, it, it, uh, with another, I think it was Another One Bites the Dust, he, he didn't even say anything. He just started playing the bass line. Yes. You know, and Brian May says, well, what's that? You know, yeah. and then they pick up on it and suddenly they got a hit. I so. love it. Well, you know, we always talk about music, but find a way to dovetail it into our conversation. And one of the things that Dr. George Barn has been doing with the American Worldview Inventory has been talking about uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly about what the state of the modern church is. And, you know, there are certain things that I think we used to take for granted, like if four musicians like Queen were in the studio some wonderful thing, wonderful music is going to happen because they all understood music theory. They all understood how this worked. Even if they didn't have any formal training in it, they got it. 
And I think when we go to church on Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever it is we worship, there's always been that assumption that good, healthy, thriving church has a pastor who looks at the word of God through the lens of scripture as a biblical worldview. Your new research indicates that that's not always the case. Uh, just get right into it, George. Break it down for us. How bad is it in terms of how many pastors do or don't have a biblical worldview? Well, essentially what we're looking at is about one-third of pastors having a biblical worldview. It's 37% wow. across all pastors. And we broke that down into the different types of pastors that you might find in a church, whether it's uh, you know a, a senior pastor, associate pastor, teaching pastor, uh, children's youth pastors, executive pastors. And there's no good news to be found really in any of those. Senior pastors lead the hit parade with 41% having a biblical worldview. Uh, then it drops from there down to assistant and associate pastors at 28%. Then it uh, declines much further down to teaching pastors at 13%, children's and youth pastors at 12%, and executive pastors at 4%. You know, and we could we could break those out and talk about each of those, but I'll tell you the one that really breaks my heart, Roger, is when we look at children and youth pastors, yeah. children's pastors in particular, because when you realize that seven out of every eight children's pastors do not have a biblical worldview, and you realize that it's during the the ages of the children that they're ministering to during that time frame in their life that they're most spiritually vulnerable. That's when they're developing the worldview that they're going to carry with them for the rest of their life. To recognize that the leaders in the church responsible for training them, discipling them, uh, working them through that process don't have a biblical worldview, and you can't give what you don't have, that to me is is very scary, and it's really heart, heartbreaking. Mm. I'm talking with Dr. George Barnett today here on The Bottom Line about the latest edition of the American Worldview Inventory, the shocking numbers of pastors that have a, uh, a biblical worldview, as we would put it. George, you gravitated right toward the children's pastors. I heard that 13% of teaching pastors, and that just horrified me, okay? because I, I admit that I gravitate more toward that style. I like to hear more of the professorial type of uh, you know exposition. Uh, and, and when I hear of a teaching pastor, who's going through it, you know, especially the churches where they say, and we teach verse by verse, you know, we're teaching the full counsel of scripture. And I have to wonder, well, you're teaching verse by verse, but, you know, only 10% of the verses are the ones that you're teaching on that actually apply. I mean, this, this has got to send uh, a shockwave through many churches, if not most churches, that the percentage is so small. Well, I, I would hope so, you know, and, and when you talk about teaching pastors, I mean, the thought that came to my mind related to that was you look at where you find teaching pastors. It's typically in large churches. They're the only ones that can afford to have somebody whose primary, if not sole role, is teaching. Right. And, and what do we know about the large or the mega churches? They tend to have more influence. And so to look at the fact that these are some of our most influential churches, and they're only a third as likely as smaller churches to actually have somebody who's teaching God's word with authenticity, with accuracy, with truth, uh, with reliability, that also is very frightening. You, you know, you put that together, uh, the teaching pastor, the children's pastors, 12, 13% of them uh, respectively have in that biblical worldview. 
that to me says, okay, it's time for the organized body of Christ to stand back and rethink, what are we doing here? How are we doing this? How do we actually select pastors? What are the criteria that we're looking for? How do we measure whether or not we're getting what we thought we were going to get? And maybe it's actually even going to go back to the elders, where they're just looking for somebody who's a smooth speaker, a charismatic individual, has the degrees, uh, you know, hanging on the wall. Uh, if that's the case, then we need to rethink even our criteria. Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And if you're watching on myhopenow.com, uh, you get to see a, a glimpse of George Barna in action in his office there with all the books and all the academia that's all around. I mean, all the research that George does, it's really remarkable. But next time, we're definitely going to have this conversation from the home studio because we want to hear you play the bass. It's really just that simple. I mean, that's part of the reason why we love having Dr. George Barna on with us. Serious subject, and this is for the, I see the pastoral shift going to and fro. I was noticing the other day in the Lutheran denomination, of which I've been part of for basically half my life, that there were some Lutheran, I believe the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America has an empty pulpit rate of something like 15, 20%. I mean, there's a lot of movement. They've been trying to be a little more, quote unquote, politically correct. And so as they've tried to be more LGBTQ friendly, et cetera, et cetera, either they're having a hard time finding qualified candidates or people are just leaving, they're retiring early or, or they're doing you know, whatever it is they do. I was on a call committee not too long ago, I'll say within the past three years, where we were having, you know, making the decision, senior pastor of 25 years was retiring, moving to a small town. They were bringing in someone new. And, and George, I, I have to admit this, and I hate to admit this, but I don't remember one conversation that didn't include, well, where do you go to school? Where do you get the teaching training? Where, where's the credential? How big is the church they're at right now? Were there any scandals in the church? But not once did anybody ask, has anyone talked to this guy about whether or not he holds a biblical worldview? Is that a common, is that going to have to be more of the norm, do you think, in churches these days? Yeah, I think what you've experienced is the norm right now, and that norm needs to be challenged. I would say it needs to be changed. What 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 are we getting a pastor for? I mean, the whole idea is that he or she is supposed to be helping us to grow closer to Christ. To, and to do that, we have to think more like Christ, because until we think more like Christ, we won't live more like Christ. Amen. Those are, those are interconnected. So if we're going to uh, hold to that idea of that's what we want to do, we don't want to just be nice people. And by the way, I recognize based on our research that in America, when people say Christian, they no longer think that it has anything to do with the Bible. Now what wow. they think is that to be a Christian means that you're a good person, which, by the way, Roger, is why I always refer to it as a biblical worldview, not a Christian worldview, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we found that when people say, oh, yeah, I have a Christian worldview, what that means to them is, yeah, I always try to do my best and I try to be a nice person has nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with scripture. It's all about me and how I feel about myself. So that's kind of where we've gotten to with pastors, you know, where we want to make sure that the church isn't going to be embarrassed, that the church is going to be growing numerically. So we have to have somebody who's, who's a smooth speaker, an attractive, alluring personality, uh, you know, maybe has a nice family that people can relate to, all of these kinds of things but not looking at the essence of, but what is the role of pastor supposed to be accomplishing for us? What kind of standards do we need to set for that? 
That's powerful insight from Dr. George Barna today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. Barna is the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He's got a link for this latest report up at thebottomlineshow.com about the number of pastors, and it is a very small number compared to what it should be, we believe, in terms of who holds a biblical worldview with regard to their faith, obviously, uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, and then what is being taught, what is being communicated in the pulpit. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to take a look at a couple of the denominational numbers, because I found these to be fascinating. One did not surprise me a whole lot. The other one was, I hate to use the H word, but it was kind of horrifying to see how few of the members of this denomination's clergy actually held a biblical worldview. We'll open up that can of worms on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Real estate broker Brian Edgel is the smart choice when it comes to finding someone to list and sell your home. He will get you the top dollar for your home, ensuring the fair and timely sale of your most important asset. The most expensive part of selling your home is the commission you pay to your broker. With Brian Edgel, you pay only 2.9% total commission. Right now, there are more buyers than sellers on the market, which puts you at an advantage. Get the most money out of your property now while the market is in your favor. Brian negotiates with buyers for you, using his experience as a broker, not an agent, to get you the highest price and the most advantageous terms possible. Make the smart choice. Sell your home with real estate broker Brian Edgel for only 2.9% total commission. Call Brian today at 800-969-3992. That's 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Brian Edgel, DRE 01391126, NMLS 1599100. Brian Edgel is my go-to guy when it comes to selling your home, when it comes to buying another home. Even if you're looking to refinance, Brian Edgel is the guy that I recommend. I encourage you to go to smartchoicehomeseller.com today. That's smartchoicehomeseller.com. Or call him at 800-969-3992. Uh, you hear the sounds of Duran Duran at Live Aid. Say a prayer for the morning after Live Aid uh, anniversary today. Today is uh, July the 13th, 1985 was the day 37 years ago that all the biggest bands of the world got together and tried to eliminate African famine. And, you know, I, I'm not bringing this up as some kind of nostalgic type of thing to say, boy, are we old. Uh, the mullets were going crazy and the hairspray was going nuts <laughs> during that time. But as Dr. George Barna and I have been having a conversation today here on the Bottom Line Show about the issue of biblical literacy, biblical inerrancy, and how many pastors hold a truly biblical worldview, it was interesting to see on that day how many people, uh, July 13, 1985, had what I believe is a biblical worldview in terms of seeing those who were suffering, those who were struggling with poverty and famine and disease, and at the time, the number of people who lived in a world where they couldn't really uh, break out of that cycle of poverty. And one of the bands that performed at Live Aid, uh, the U2, uh, their lead singer Bono became a huge advocate for uh, eliminating third world debt. He said, you know, it's really very simple. If we raise enough money, buy enough food, and we cancel enough debt, we're going to see this would change. And what was interesting is over the next two decades, things did change in the underdeveloped world, but not because we gave $35 million that went to buying food for poor African families. Most of that food wound up sitting on docks. It didn't get used. The African government didn't want it. They didn't care that they had people starving in their their country. It really didn't matter to them. Very altruistic on our part, 
as uh, Westerners who wanted to try to solve the problem, but it certainly wasn't the solution. You know, it's interesting to see how many people, I remember talking with a couple of leaders in this area uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, and the number of people who lived in a dollar a day, $2 a day was a couple of billion. And over the course of one decade, it was cut down to half that number. The standard of living is increasing everywhere. And it was Bono, once again, who said, you know, I've learned something over the past 30 years, that the solution to ending poverty is not canceling debt, and it's not uh, giving people free food. It's jobs. Quite frankly, when people got microloans, some as small as $100 to start their own businesses, they were able to literally work their way out of poverty. All they needed was the opportunity to do so. I think a biblical worldview informs that position for us, but how many pastors these days have that biblical worldview? The American Worldview Inventory, uh, written by Dr. George Barna and the staff at Arizona Christian University, paints a very frightening picture of how many pastors actually hold a uh, biblical worldview, especially in the black church and the Roman Catholic church. We've got it posted up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I encourage you to take a look. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, more of my conversation with Dr. George Barna here on Live Aid Day. By the way, it's a Wednesday, so that you know what that means. It's Everyone Wednesday. Uh, call just for no reason. If you just want <laughs> other than you want to talk to Teresa and win something from our prize cabinet. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's not going to solve world poverty. For those of us who are saying we want to go ahead and, uh, you know, give you something uh, for free. But rather, we understand that it's just kind of fun to do. You know, it's a fun way to engage with you, to say thank you for listening, uh, to give you a chance to win some of the free things that we have here. But also, please understand that when you tune into the Bottom Line Show every day, you will hear guests and you will hear a host that believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And, and believe that that's what our pastor should be preaching from the pulpit. And the more we are facing a church right now that is professing faith in Christ, but not honoring God's word as living and active and life-changing, this is the kind of world we should be expecting to get. More of my conversation with Dr. George Barna on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Here at K-Bright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home, it was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready, like, to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935.
Always a pleasure to have time with Dr. George Barnum. My guest today here on The Bottom Line Show as we're digging tunes from uh, Live Aid, which is 37 years ago today. And remember how simple it was, George? You just plugged in your base, got the band together, raised $35 million, and ended African famine. I mean, it was just that simple, right? And launched the whole revolution with MTV in the process. And now you'd be hard-pressed if you found MTV in your multi-cable settings to find them even playing any kind of musical expression. Um, you know, but nonetheless... It's amazing how many people I think from earlier eras. I had a chance to interview Mark Stein, who is the keyboard player and lead vocalist of Vanilla Fudge last weekend. And he's got a song out about praying for peace. It's a song that he's using as a fundraiser for Ukraine. And we talked about that spiritual component. I think that 60s and 70s bands had that now you just don't see anymore. But based on your research in terms of what's coming out of the pulpit, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, you know, because fewer and fewer people are holding to a biblical worldview even to pastors. You, um, George, in the research that you've posted that we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com, uh, you've looked at the percentages of churches whose pastor has a biblical worldview in relation to categories of belief and behavior. It sounds very convoluted, but at the bottom of the list of these eight behaviors is one that you found to be rather shocking. We were talking about it during the break. Can you kind of take, take us on a 90-second to two-minute tour of what uh, that uh, research indicated? Yeah, I mean, when we ask all of these questions, it's more than four dozen questions that we ask people about their worldview, and it goes into both beliefs and behavior. But all of those questions can be divided into different types of categories, substantive categories. And so we've got things like family and the value of life, questions related to that topic, uh, God, creation, and, and the meaning of history, uh, a person's faith practices, why they do what they do and, and what they do. Uh, sin, salvation, their relationship with God, human character, human nature. So we've got eight different categories. And to me, in my mind, at least, when I look at all this, the anchor category, if you will, the, the most fundamental category for us to evaluate is, is one labeled Bible, truth, and morals. Right. What do you believe about the Bible? How do you use the Bible? What is truth? What's the basis of truth? Uh, we give them different scenarios. What's the, you know, the uh, approach that you would take to dealing with this situation? There are moral and immoral choices in there. So we look at all of that. And you know what, what I find astounding and, again, heartbreaking is with pastors, the lowest category on the list in terms of their capacity and, and, and ability to think consistently biblically is this category of Bible truth and morals. Really? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> give me a break. I mean, this has to be, in my mind, the starting point that you're going to be coming from as you're trying to help other people build a biblical worldview? Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's truth, that it's reliable, that it's relevant to our lives today? I mean, these are not Theology 406 types of discussions. Mm -hmm. This is like Christianity 101. Right. And that's basically what we're measuring throughout this entire assessment. You know, some people have said to me, well, maybe the level of questions, the types of principles, biblical principles you're measuring is too too high, too extreme. And it's like, no, we're not asking how many angels, you know, fit on the head of a pin. Right. We're asking, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of humankind? Do you believe that you're a sinner and you need him as your Savior? Do you believe that the Bible, you know, is God's Word and we can, we can trust it? It's these kinds of simple 
basic things. So when I see that as our, our lowest point on the scale of all the things we're measuring, to me, that's a real indication of how far we've gone away from what the church is meant to be. George Barna with me today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about the latest American Worldview Inventory 2022 release about the number of evangelical pastors who possess a biblical worldview and how much lower that number is in other denominations on that same chart, George, where you talked about the eight different attributes that uh, you were looking at, the percentage of churches whose pastor has a biblical worldview in relation to categories of belief and behavior. Uh, one number I, I was really surprised to notice that in the Roman Catholic Church of the priests, apparently, that you have surveyed, uh, the ones who have a truly biblical worldview is like 6%. And when it comes to sin, salvation, and the relationship with God, only 4% hold to a biblical worldview. Now, I, I say this in all love and respects. I know there are a lot of Catholic folk who like to listen to the Bottom Line show on occasion. If the priests have such a low view of Scripture in terms of you know faith and salvation and this, that, and the other thing, then I don't know how to ask how else to ask this, church. What's going on in the Catholic Church? I mean, th these are the people who are of the impression they are the capital C church. I mean, this is the church, and yet they're completely missing the point when it comes to Scripture. Why is that? How did that happen? Well, having grown up as a Catholic myself, having gone to Catholic college, you know, having been married by my cousin, the priest, I mean, you know, I've got a lot of that Catholic background. Uh, all my family and my wife's family are still in the Catholic Church. So I do have respect for that. But I've also got some firsthand experience with what's going on there and how this is happening. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that really in the Catholic Church, uh, there's not a premium put on reading the Bible, on mm -hmm. studying the Bible, on uh, being kind of a personal expert in biblical content. You know, in the Catholic Church, we tend to expect a lot of that to be given to us by our, our spiritual leaders. And a lot of what we're given, frankly, is, is uh, historical tradition. And so some of that doesn't actually fit with scriptural truth. And so, yeah, there, there's conflict there. But what I find from all of our research is that Catholics love God. Catholics love to pray. Catholics are very consistent about uh, going to Mass to worship God, mm -hmm. but not at all consistent about taking the Bible out and studying it and really knowing it from cover to cover. So I think that's one of the areas where certainly the Catholic Church could grow. And I don't want to, you know, be seen as bashing the Catholic Church. It's not the only church by a long right. shot that needs to go through that same reorientation of priorities. Yeah. As we could look at, you know, as I look at the list of all the churches that we measured across the country, those that are traditionally Black Protestant churches, same issue, only 9% of those pastors have a biblical worldview. Yeah. And so there is a lot of unbiblical teaching in uh, many of those churches, not all of them, of course, there are some great churches in those traditions. But, uh, you know, when we just look at the averages, it's, it's kind of deflating. It certainly is. And I was hoping that you can do this. And I always, at the end of our conversation, we got a couple minutes left. And I always ask George to reinvent the wheel or solve a Rubik's Cube or something. And that's, that's probably not fair to do. But you did mention something that I think is important for us to grasp conceptually, because I know that you don't mount this research and then say, aha, see, we found out, you know, there's problems with the church and, you know, I'm going to go do another survey that shows how even worse it is. That It's certainly not that, but rather you're coming at this altruistically and saying, okay, we've got a problem with the church. Why is the church 
declining in influence? Why are more young people leaving the, the faith, even though they grew up in, in churches like this? You mentioned the difference between a church that has a love for God and a church that has a love for God's word. Can you take the final couple minutes here and talk about what you're seeing in the culture? Is there a way to kind of turn this around? I mean, to take people who really do love the God that they've been taught about traditionally and get to know him more personally through the reading of his word. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of things that start streaming in my mind when you ask a question like that. One of those is that, yes, we can turn this around. We need to turn this around. But in order to do that, number one, we're going to have to recognize it's a long-term process. Right. We dug ourselves a really deep hole here. And so we've got to reevaluate everything that's part of the process. Number one, seminaries. We're not attracting the right people to seminaries. Uh, you know, people who are called by God to do this work of the pastor, as opposed to people who think, wow, that'd be a fun job. Uh, you know, <laughs> people who have been called and gifted to do that work by God, as opposed to people who get high scores on the GREs and therefore look like a great graduate school candidate. Yeah. You know, we've got to rethink a lot of that. Part of it is that we've also got to be refocusing on our children. That's when worldview is developed. Right now, we don't have a good pool to draw from in terms of attracting pastors or attracting people even to parachurch ministries who are going to lead those with a biblical worldview. So the more that we can start at the right place with young children, 15 to 18 months of age is when worldview development starts. By the age of 13, it's pretty much complete. So if we can begin focusing there and in our churches, recognize that the most important pastor is the children's pastor. And so reorient our hiring process so that we're not putting all our eggs in the senior pastor basket, but we're thinking about, okay, how are we going to revolutionize the spirituality of this nation? It's going to be through children. And what we've got to do is have the senior pastor equipping parents to be doing that job in the home. And we've got to have the children's pastor doing that job here on campus with the children who show up. And that gives us an opportunity then, those of us who are in more of the seasoned years of life as we're comparing our gray hair here, to say, okay, look, it's not our turn to make sure that all of our needs are met, but rather look at the role that we play in helping to mentor these young children and to make them the next generation of believers, understanding that there was a gap for whatever reason, kind of a tear, a fissure, if you will, in the cultural fabric for doing so, but that can be repaired. And I, that's what I'm hearing you say, George Barnett, there is a way to... to uh, regroup this and to re-knit it, if you will. Yeah, and as I've looked at this, and, and you know, I, I work with a lot of groups on strategy for doing this, and one of the things that I tell them is, and don't overlook grandparents, because yeah. there's a larger proportion of grandparents in America than any of the younger groups of the population that have a biblical worldview. Let's not waste that. Let's Amen. make sure that we take that and use that to our advantage. Amen. Great research as always from Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, joining me from his office on campus today. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this new study from uh, the American Worldview Inventory 2022 about the number of pastors and the percentage of them that actually hold a biblical worldview. It's eye-opening. It's not easy to read, but it's very important. And we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. George, great to see you as we're doing this video to video. Uh, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Roger. Wow, what a good, uh, important study uh, for us to take a look at. And I encourage you to go to thebottomlineshow.com 
to take a look at the research Dr. George Barna has done for the American Worldview Inventory at Arizona Christian University. Uh, George was talking about how important children's pastor role is. The youth ministries are key. He mentioned the establishing of the biblical worldview in youngsters, as they used to say, as young as 15 months. And by the time age 13 rolls around, that worldview is pretty much solidified in the lives of kids. It was for us when we were younger, and now it is for our uh, kids and grandkids as we are getting older. Depending on where you live, that could be a rather ominous statistic, especially when you consider the commitment that the left has to, quote unquote, educating your kids and the success rate that they're having. And yet, it's interesting to see a state like California recently ranked number one in one educational category that they don't want to be, and number 50 out of 50 states in another category that they certainly don't want to be on the bottom of the list. I'm going to take a look at those and ask you the question with regard to high school graduation, with regard to finishing high school in the first place, and we'll do an informal poll here. We'll open up the phones at 800-227-5278 and find out uh, academically, you know, where do you fit in? And more specifically, do you think we're putting too much emphasis on, you know, high school education that isn't really educating our kids? 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I have to admit, I watched a lot of hours of Live Aid 37 years ago today. I don't remember Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers being there, but that wasn't because I, I, I was actually out with some friends the night before when it first started in England at, uh, what, about uh, midnight Pacific time. And we started watching, and we were just entranced with it. And the idea that people were coming together, they were it was a telethon. And this new fledgling music network that had been on for about four years called MTV, Music Television, uh, was really making a splash broadcasting the entire event. And, and we watched and we liked the rock and roll and it was the music of a young generation. And we were going to solve African famine. And we raised a lot of money to end African famine. And here we are 37 years later. And what has done more to end African famine than a telethon is jobs is in other words biblical principles and i think if we want to be uh, intellectually honest with ourselves it would be intellectually dishonest for us to say well if we just have a fundraiser like this and throw a bunch of money at problems the problems will go away god i think is very faithful to hear us when we listen to his word and when we want to be educated by him but as dr george barner shared with us during the past half hour in our conversation fewer and fewer uh, men and women in the pulpit in the America, anyway, um, are listening to that word and taking it seriously. It's an everyone Wednesday. Everyone Wednesday, Wednesday. Uh, 800-227-5278. If you want to win something, today's your day. We just ask that if you've won something in the last 30 days, please don't call unless you want to talk to Teresa for a little bit. But then she'll put you on hold and talk to other people who want to win stuff because that's what we do here on Everyone Wednesday. I came across this study, and I really wanted to just give you a chance to kind of listen to the statistics and then it's about formalized education and then for of course our flagship affiliates are kbrt southern california am 740 am 1240 fm 103.3 and fm 100.7 and then our bay area affiliates kcbc and i say bay area because if you're in central valley you're like hey we're not in the bay area um but 
basically everywhere from Central Valley on north uh, at AM 770 for this live portion of the event. And, of course, our wonderful listeners all up and down the state of Colorado and into Wyoming on KLTT and KLDC. Okay. So here's the, the deal. CNS News Service is reporting this. There was a study conducted with regard to public education in all 50 states. And looking at public education and looking at the statistics, there were two questions that were pursued. First, how many people in your state have graduated from high school? And secondly, how many people in your state didn't finish high school? And they used, I, I thought it was kind of an arbitrary grade, but apparently they track this more than anyone else. Um, how many residents in your state are age 25 or older who have never finished the ninth grade? Now, this is kind of a double-edged sword because there are people who don't finish high school for certain reasons. Sometimes there's a financial hardship at home. There might have been a medical challenge. Uh, someone drops out of school, winds up going in the military. They might wind up completing a, a, what they call it, the uh, a general ed degree or the, the uh, I had a friend who used to call it the good enough degree, but nonetheless, it was a high school equivalency. Uh, there are people who do go back to school after, uh, had a dear friend in high school whose mother uh, came from a family who was very, very poor, and she wound up having a tar tough time even just going to school. She graduated from high school at age 27. thought that was pretty uh, cool of her to go back and wound up becoming an accountant and uh, you know had a great working career, but didn't get the cap and gown at age 18 or 17 and go off to college. But according to data, and this is from the U.S. Census Bureau. So, I mean, there's no axe to grind here. Just, just CNS News Service. We'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com. California ranks number one in one of these categories and number 50 in the other. California ranks number one among all 50 states for the percentage of residents aged 25 and older who have never completed the ninth grade. And California ranks 50th for the percentage of residents who have graduated from high school. Let me say that again. When it comes to high school graduates in all 50 states, the percentage of the population of Californians who have graduated from high school is dead last. And when it comes to the percentage of residents aged 25 and older who have never completed the ninth grade, which means they got through middle school and that's about it, California ranks number one. Now, the high school graduation rate in the United States is a lot higher than you might think. 82.5% of California residents have graduated from high school, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And that's the worst of all 50 states. There's been a huge debate over the years as to what constitutes being academically sound enough to graduate from high school. In a lot of states, I believe Florida, South Carolina, and others are putting financial literacy courses into their high school curriculum. Um, there's you know, civics and economics and other things that kids need to know. There once was a time when a high school degree, a high school diploma, was actually uh, respected in the culture because not everybody goes to college. But isn't it interesting now that in the big rush to get everybody into college and university, the, there are some states where, I mean, it's accepted that a state like California, 82% of the population have graduated from high school. Almost one out of every five Californians right now has not graduated from high school. And the percentage of California residents age 25 and older 
who have not finished the ninth grade is right around 10%. So when you go to church this weekend, take a look around in the auditorium. And again, this is not insinuating that there are people in your church that lack the necessary educational or academic skills to function in life. But look around the church. Let's say there's 100 people in the church that are all age 25 and older. Okay? Of those 100 people, statistically in California, 18 of them did not graduate from high school, and 10 of them didn't even finish the ninth grade. Now, I grew up with stories of my grandparents having to make those kinds of sacrifices. Of the three grandparents I knew, because my maternal grandfather uh, had passed away before I was born, he dropped out of school, I believe, at age 15. My other grandfather dropped out after the eighth grade. Other grandmother dropped out after eighth grade. I had one grandparent of the four of mine who graduated from high school and then went on to college. She spent a year in college and then got a job. And we were told, wow, this is a big deal that your grandmother got to go to college. I mean, it was incredible. And in the 1920s, I guess for a woman to go to college, it was pretty incredible. But now it seems like everybody has these great graduation stories and whatever. I'm curious as to what yours is. What do you think of these statistics? 800-227-5278. Remember, it's Everyone Wins Day on this Everyone Wins Wednesday. So the question is, what do you think of these numbers? I, for one, am quite surprised. I am really shocked that in this day and age, we still have such a high percentage of Californians who have not finished the ninth grade. Especially when it seems like there's a big push for... Uh, graduating from high school and going to college. But what do you think? What is your take on this? And if this is your story, by the way, if you, as a Christian, have you know been living in California or Texas is the second highest uh, state in terms of low graduation rate and high dropout rate for uh, kids at eighth grade or older, if that's your story, I'd love to hear how you've navigated the waters of life. Has it been easy? Has it been challenging? Did you go back later? I mean, what was the story? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. Um, we're talking about this new study. It's data from the Census Bureau. Uh, California ranks number one among the 50 states for the percentage of residents uh, who have graduated from high school, uh, being the, uh, take that back, I'm flipping the numbers here. Number one among the 50 states who has the highest percentage of residents who'd ever finished the ninth grade. And 50th in the percentage of residents who have graduated from high school. As a Californian who has graduated from high school, I can honestly say that number really surprises me. And yet I can remember a time when... Uh, I, I can remember a time when it was possible to graduate from high school or even not find a job and um, finding the, a job and then making a living for yourself. That seemed to be a, a, a way to go. Now, more and more, what we're hearing is that's, you know, the blue collar job phenomenon isn't really happening anymore. And so the prospect of not finishing the ninth grade finding a job, having a family, getting married, buying a home, that type of stuff, seems like it's completely out of reach, like it wouldn't happen at all. So um, I, I just, I wonder, 
I mean, I have to wonder what it is that's leading to this. If you have any insights on this, I'd love to get your thoughts. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. And today, of course, is an Everyone Wednesday. It's Wednesday, and so we change the spelling on it to Everyone Wins. Everyone's going to win something here on the bottom line when you call in. Um, you know, it's interesting how many people are looking at the world right now, and they're looking for that kind of, you know, what do I win? I want something free. I want something for nothing without having to do anything. Well, you aren't winning something for nothing when you call in on Everyone Wednesday. You've actually made an investment into this program, and you are obviously being rewarded for that. You know the beautiful thing about when it comes to giving away, though? You're going to win a free gift that we have from our prize cabinet, whether it's a V. Uh, dvd or book or you know something of great value we believe to us that you'll benefit from but ultimately the greatest gift in all of life is free and that is salvation by grace through faith in jesus christ god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to give us that gift so that we would not perish but have everlasting life he gives that gift freely and all we have to do we can't earn it we can't buy it you don't even win the lottery you ask to receive it you believe that god gives it to you freely and you receive it and then you share that good news with other people. And that is the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider coming up next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. As we continue, we'll keep on breaking down this remarkable statistic of why California has the highest percentage of residents 25 or older who have never finished the ninth grade and the lowest percentage of high school graduates of any state in the union. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. 800-227-5278 is the number to call as we are commemorating uh, the Live Aid 37th anniversary. And who remembers that big air and all that great time that people had watching music coming together as the world watched. It was a huge event. And now it's amazing how many people know so little about it. I mean, true story. I'm talking to my producer, Tamara Quimiro, after the uh, uh, after the event, uh, after the pro yesterday's program, and I said, oh, and tomorrow we got George Parner coming up, and that'll be great because of Live Aid. And she, we were talking on a little FaceTime thing, and she kind of looked at me funny like, what are you talking about? And <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I, I, was, I was shocked, but then I wasn't because I realized that there are things that we do in this life that have some kind of meaning. Um, and, you know, that, was, that worked out, you know, at such a great time as that. But then when you look back, if you've ever gone through and looked at old pictures and said, oh, yeah, I remember how important that was. And then you realize that maybe it was important in that moment, but it doesn't really have any longevity. You know, I have to wonder, whenever you see um, mom and dad trying to help kids do their homework, talking about this new study from the Census Bureau, about how California has the highest percentage of residents age 25 or older who've never completed ninth grade, and the lowest percentage of residents who've ever graduated from high school. And by the way, Texas is right behind. Texas is number two in the percentage of residents 25 or older who have never completed the ninth grade, and 49th for those who've graduated from high school. Isn't it interesting that the two most populous states in the union, arguably the, with the two biggest economies, also have the highest percentage of Americans who've never graduated from what we would consider the basics? the high school diploma, the educational uh, standard for American education. And you have to ask the question, or at least I do anyway, what is the reason? Why is this happening? 
what is the problem in our education system that is leading so many people to not finish? I mean, there, there's this assumption now when you consider the number of people who graduate from high school and go on to college in the United States and not only go on but finish college. The, um, it's incredible. I mean, take a look at this percentage here. 9.7% of California residents age 25 or older have not completed the ninth grade. 82.5% of California residents have graduated from high school, and yet the college graduation rate is 34%. Whereas a generation or two ago, only one in 10 Americans even went to college in the first place. Now it seems like almost every American who's of college age not only goes to school, but they also graduate with some kind of degree. I can recall about 30 years ago having the privilege of teaching uh, broadcasting in a community college setting. Actually, it's uh, Tamara's alma mater, Fullerton College. Taught there for a semester. I was filling in for somebody else who was on leave, and it was great fun. It was tremendous fun. Almost 30 years to the day later, I got a phone call from, uh, or maybe it was a Facebook message, from someone at that same school saying, hey, we had someone who last minute maternity, they're going to take the year off. Would you be interested in applying? Now, bear in mind that at that time, I now had... 30 years of experience more in the industry than I did when they hired me the last time. But my degree is not in broadcasting. I have degree in edu ministry education. And, um, okay, well, that's fine. They wouldn't even consider me for the job. Now, bear in mind where we were as a nation 30 years ago. A guy with about 10 years of broadcasting experience wound up being paid at a master's level to teach at a community college. And 30 years later, with all that experience <laughs> behind me, and I mean a lot of it, including hosting this show, they wouldn't even consider me because my degree is not in broadcasting. So there may be something to do here with the fact that there are so many people who've learned to kind of paint by the numbers that the educational system is set up that some folks have figured, okay, I could either paint by the numbers or not. But how is it that the states that have the two highest GDPs also have the lowest percentage of high school graduates and the highest percentage of people who over the age of 25 have not even finished the ninth grade? What does that say about our commitment to public education? What does that say for us as Christian parents about the value of public education? Hey, I'll, I'll tell you a story that is based purely in fact. It's nothing anecdotal about this. The number of principals that I've spoken with at Christian schools in the South, Southern California area during the pandemic who said that the pandemic turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to their school is it's 100%. Every single one I've spoken with, they all say the same thing. Parents are coming because, first of all, they wanted their kids just in school. I mean, they Christian, Jewish, they didn't care. Parochial or not, they wanted their kids to be going to school. But once they started going to these schools, all of a sudden they began to discover, hey, the level of ed education here is phenomenal. The high school preparedness, college preparedness, life preparedness, it's huge. And I have to wonder if maybe, just maybe, some of the families that found a way to make a way without necessarily going through the formalized system aren't necessarily saying, hey, formalized system, you're a bad system, but rather saw a better way, saw a better path, and found a way around it.
Now, I am the product of career educators. Both my parents were teachers. My dad became an administrator. He was a superintendent at one point for all of Orange County. Not or superintendent of Orange County. He was in charge of the operational services department. My sister has taught. My brother has taught. I've, I've taught. My oldest daughter uh, is moving to Texas in a couple of weeks. I'm very sad. <laughs> but she was just in Texas over the weekend lining up a teaching job. That's what she does for a living. And she moved on from a teaching job that now her brother is taking on. While younger daughter in the middle, also becoming a teacher. Daughter Taylor is a tennis instructor. I mean, you can see that education is a huge part of what our family does. Both sides of the aisle. But there has to be a right way to do it, and there has to be a practical end result to that education. And something tells me that the fact that we are being told compulsory education is the way to go, the way to go, the way to go, and yet there are people who are succeeding in California either who went through the system and didn't finish, but they're succeeding because they can still afford to live here. Or they came here from somewhere else and found a way to make it work, and, you know, does anyone ask Elon Musk where he went to school? Bill Gates? You know, we, we hear the, the Steve Jobs story about dropping out of college, and, you know, maybe some of the most successful people aren't necessarily looking at getting on that track, staying on that track, and moving in that way. I just, I found it very, very interesting to see how many people fit in that category of, I don't really fit, but here's the way I'm going to do it. Here's how it's happening for me. And so when I saw these statistics at first, it was a real eye-opener, but then I began to realize, well, maybe that isn't so unusual after all. Maybe that isn't such a bad way to go. Be curious to get your thoughts on this. And of course, you can post to our social media pages as well as you can go to the bottomlineshow.com. California, number one in the United States for the percentage of residents age 25 or older who have never completed the ninth grade. And California, also number 50 at rock bottom for the percentage of p- students who've actually graduated from high school. In other words, this is the lowest. And yet California still held up as the gold standard for education in the United States. Love to get your thoughts on this when you go to thebottomlineshow.com. That's thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this fascinating conversation and also a Walk the Talk segment coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh here at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville and uh, talking with yet another California guy that I had to come, you know, 2,000 miles east to come meet. Abel Pomar is the president of Adelphi Credit Union, formerly known as Evangelical Christian Credit Union. We've got a link for Adelphi up at thebottomlineshow.com and the name Adelphi coming from the, uh, the, well, you say it better than I do, Abel, but I think I understand it now. Yeah, definitely. It comes from the root word Adelphus, Mm -hmm. which appears over 300 times in the New Testament, which means brother and sister in Christ. We shorten it to Adele. Uh-huh. And then FI is financial institution. I love it. And this is something It's member driven. It's not for profit per se. You're Correct. not like a major bank, which, which people don't think about. Right. I, I like the security of a major bank, but you reminded me in the earlier segment that the majors um, are businesses and they have mm-hmm. shareholders that they're accountable to right. and they charge fees and they do all sorts of things. Not that you guys don't have your financial structure the way you do. But it's a different mindset, and especially now in 2022, with the world changing the way it is, but also with this big generational shift that we're experiencing and seeing that millennials and Generation Z are a whole different animal when it comes to their values, when it comes to how they view Christianity. And you just recently conducted some research with Lifeway to find out how their views of money are. Correct. Yes, and we're here at the conference to talk a little bit about that. And so it's pretty exciting because we want to understand how this younger generation views their attitude towards money, how they use it as a tool in serving God in the kingdom. And what some of the key findings of that research indicate to us is that a majority, a vast majority, over 70% of those young Christians, they give more than their secular counterparts, three times more Wow, on average, right? So that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is that they give of their time as well. So it isn't just that Christians give money and they walk away. They actually give money and they give of themselves. Amen. So... Uh, earlier on in, in our first segment, I mentioned the early church. What, what I find so interesting is that this confirms that the church is alive and well. Amen. Right? It isn't Amen. just an yeah. Acts chapter 2 church. Yeah. It's a 2022 church well, that's, that's still continuing on in that same vein. Mm-hmm. So I'm really encouraged to see that young people today, young believers today, have that right attitude, the giving of their time, treasure, and talent. That's part of their life. They, they love that, and they would be drawn to Adelphi because of the fact that you guys have similar values. I mean, y- yes. not, I'm not speaking for the entire banking industry to say that they don't, right. but the banking industry that I've seen, I'll, I'll use an anecdotal example from the uh, bank that I have banked with for many, many years. It seems like every time I walk into a branch, they are targeting a certain ethnic group mm-hmm. where everybody who works there, regardless of the makeup of the community, mm-hmm. is Hispanic or African-American or something like that. And it's like they're thinking, well, you got to put your money somewhere, so we want to target that audience. Right. Here, you're talking values, which is it's a whole values. different ball game, And, yes. and it, it's exciting. I can see where a lot of millennials would say, I like what you're doing with Adelphi because that's what I'm doing too. That's right. how I feel. That's how I think. Yeah. So every, everything we do, you know, our, nothing against the national banks. I mean, yeah. they all do great work around this country, but I think it would be hard for us to actually articulate where, where do they invest? Where do they give back? Mm-hmm. What is the long term? What is the eternal impact they have? Right. That's a major question, right? And for us, every dollar, every loan, everything that we do ties somehow back to the spread of the gospel Mm -hmm. because we only interact with believers, whether it's a business owner, whether it's a ministry or whether it's an individual, these are the body of Christ believers. And so as we fund a church uh, somewhere in this country, right, that community is now going to be exposed to more of the gospel message. And so you think about it, you don't, you can give 
beyond your normal giving by banking with us, right? That's a, a huge thing that I think most people don't really understand. And I love the fact that you can you can see this happening. You don't even have to think about it. I mean, what is it the investors all say? You have to have one income stream where you're making money while you sleep, right? Where right. You, you're not just working for a living, but you, right. there's an investment that will appreciate whether it's real estate or stocks. Right. The, the fact that you can give in the same way and have a stewardship component. I'm thinking for the pastors who listen to us too. If yeah. your church hasn't considered Adelphi yet, my question is, why not? I mean, right. other than the fact that we're just talking about it for the first time here. Right. But it seems like th- these are very strategic times. I, yes. I can't keep beating the drum enough <laughs> you know, for that. And, and you know, I get passionate about that. But Abel, I'm glad, I'm glad you share that passion. Abel Pomar, the president of Adelphi Christian Credit Union, is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Formerly ECCU, for those who remember the Evangelical Christian Credit Union, they didn't go away. They've just kind of rebranded and mm-hmm. are more strategic for the new times that we're living in. And this was a long time in coming. It, it is. It is. A, the name change is not that we were acquired or taken over. It was an internal decision by our board of directors that felt that we, we needed a name that reflected more of who we were. Not that mm-hmm. we aren't evangelicals. We still are. Right. But this Adele, this body of Christ coming together to, to steward our resources together, that that is in essence what we are as a Christian credit union. It also is a reflection, I think, of where the culture is. Yes. You know, 30 years ago, you could say evangelical Christian credit union. People knew who you were. Mm-hmm. They knew what they were all about. They knew what they wanted you know, to do with their you know, their stewardship right. issue, and, and they, they bought it. Nowadays, the gospel is seen as an anathema to some people. It really can be mm. somewhat offensive to other people. And it, this, in, in a way, I, I like Adelphi. The name kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the early church coming up and drawing half the ichthus on the ground and the other. Yes. You know, it almost becomes like a, a code, if you will, for it's saying true. the people who get it get it. The people who don't go, well, okay, it sounds kind of like you know something new. Absolutely. But I, 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 that gives me goosebumps. That kind of first century strategy in twenty mm-hmm. first century America and the world. Yeah, sometimes well, I like to think of it as that God, does, his strategies never go out of date. Right. right. So we're, it's like old ties, it's right? It's like old yeah. times. We're, we're dusting off what God put in scripture and we're putting it to use now. And I think God will bless that. What kind of uh, programs do you offer for a church, for example? Let's say I'm a pastor. Sure. We've got, you know, a million dollars sitting in a reserve account somewhere that mm-hmm. we're not going to use. We've got a property that we have a mortgage on right now with one of the major banks. Mm-hmm. We're paying, a, we think, a competitive interest rate. Mm-hmm. We got walloped a little bit during COVID, you know, mm-hmm. memberships down and whatever. And we're thinking we need to be a little more strategic. What would you say to the pastor who says, I'm wondering if there's a way, I, not only can I save a few bucks or be, uh, you know, better on the business side, but I want to be more strategic with the funding that our church has. Absolutely. So on the ministry side, we have relationship managers at Adelphi that can work with uh, our church leaders. What they'll do is they'll do an assessment at the very beginning. They'll look at reserve accounts, they'll look at lending needs. Uh, we offer all of it. We use treasury management. We um, offer payment systems for um, you to be able to accept payment um, from from donors. Like a um, tithe or a, your yes, regular giving through exactly, an app or something. Yeah, Exactly. We also offer um, lending activities. So churches that are in the need for refinancing their properties, uh, we're here to help. And right now, as we all know, interest rates have been creeping up and mm-hmm. they creep down, they creep back up. Um, we are still in historically low interest rate uh, times. And I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of that before we see this actually kind of this mm-hmm. interest rate climb actually take hold yeah. in the future, right? So Not I think a it's question of if, it's a question of when. It's a question of when. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's, it's going to happen. So be strategic. Pastors, uh, Christian schools, uh, other organizations, that nonprofits? Is Christian schools, K through 12, is actually a focus of ours this, this particular year. We noticed last year that with uh, COVID and the impact it had on how 
kids are being taught in this country. Um, Christian schools have had a, a tremendous surge of opportunity mm-hmm. placed at their doorstep. Right. And so we're coming alongside Christian schools, and we actually have some special lending rates actually uh, available to Christian schools right now because we see the need and the demand that they mm, have. Love that. So we want to come alongside them. As again, as a credit union, our profits are about our members and giving them the best value products. It isn't about shareholder uh, wealth. So we're here to help. Abel Pomar is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the president of Adelphi Credit Union. Uh, Adelphi Christian Credit Union or just Adelphi? Just Adelphi. Just Adelphi. I will put their link up at thebottomlineshow.com. My oldest daughter, who's a teacher at our church's school, and her husband recently purchased a home. They're moving out of state. Mm-hmm. I'm very sad. I'm, I'm thrilled for them. They're <laughs> for getting them. a great deal. I mean, sad on the dad side. If, if, right. If, if uh, the business side of my brain says right. you got a four bedroom house and all that square footage and it's your first <laughs> home, I'm thrilled. The dad side says, yeah, you know, my firstborn child. But I know that when she was teaching at the Christian school here in California, um, they were part of a, a credit union that was a credit union that was also f- just for teachers. I mean, it was mm. it, it was for all teachers of all, all different teachers. backgrounds. Right. Talk to the Christian school uh, uh, employee or someone who is in a credit union like that and would benefit from being with Adelphi. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, wonderful credit unions out there. As I said, uh, banks, nothing against banks either. But uh, a credit union that ha- doesn't share your values, doesn't share your Christian values specifically, I think you have to question, um, what are they investing in? Are they investing in causes and other things that, that really aren't aligned with your faith? So this is an opportunity for us to be able to, to deliver the very same set of products, services, um, you know, pricing value that a credit union can give you, mm-hmm. but we layer on the Christian impact and the yes, kingdom yes, impact. Yes. This is an eternal uh, yeah. investment being and, made. Well, not- and think about it. I, every time I go to the drive-up ATM at my major market bank, right. there's some flash on the screen, some advertising campaign. It's right. this month, it's that month, and we support all these different causes. Right. And I just kind of push through all that stuff, but the more we're having this conversation, Abel, it really it, it bothers me mm. that there are values that are reflected there that I don't support, Correct. that I realize they are profiting off of my money being in their account. Right. And as a Christian in these strategic times, I'm growing less and less tolerant with that. Right. I want my money, well, I, which is God's money, mm-hmm. if it's really a stewardship issue, yeah. to be put together for kingdom use and to, to be put to good use. And uh, so you got me sold. I guess I got to, <laughs> now I convinced my wife we can move some of our accounts but to do this. But it, it's, a, it's a good conversation to have. 60 seconds left, Abel. What, what is your hope with the Lifeway research, with everything, the name change? This is an exciting new season for you guys at Adelphi. It, it really is. I think the hope and the, the what we've been praying about for many years, because I've been at Adelphi now for about seven uh, years, we believe believe God is calling us to have a bigger impact. We have a national scale, so we can serve um, members of the credit union across this country, um, anywhere, any state, right? So we'd love to see individuals like you and I that attend church, congregants, join Adelphi. Why? Because I think together we can steward our resources better, impact the kingdom, increase our giving back into ministry causes, to missionary causes. From the ministry side, I would love to see ministries come to us too because we can then leverage the expertise and the challenges that they uh, face and then share that across. So it's a sharing model of knowledge, expertise, and what God is doing. And then uh, clearly on the small business owner side, we didn't get a lot of chance to talk about that, but we also help small business owners. Mm. So if you have an uncomplicated 
business, an LLC, a small S corp, um, we can help. We have product services, lending that we can do just for that purpose for Christian um, business owners, and we can help them just as well. Okay, you know what to do. Adelphi's website is adelphibanking.com, okay. and Adelphi is A D E L F I banking.com. Right. And if you need explanation further as to what Adelphi actually stands for, you can reach out to me and I'll be, I am now fully understand it after <laughs> yes, getting to know this conversation. Abel Pomar, the president of Adelphi. I'm so grateful we had a chance to connect here, uh, to get to know each other a little better and find out more about the mission of what you are purposing to do with the former Evangelical Christian Credit Union. It's a whole new launch for uh, the new generation and uh, the new world that we are embracing as Christians, but also as people who are being good stewards with our resourcing. Thanks for being with me today here on Roger, the Roger, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. God bless. And that's my conversation with Abel Pomar with Adelphi Christian Credit Union, formerly known as the Evangelical Christian Credit Union, talking about an ethical way to walk the talk and put your money where your faith is. Uh, organizations like eccu.org are the best place to go, I believe, and I'm hoping that we might be able to start a long-term uh, friendship and partnership here uh, with the folks at Adelphi. Uh, Take out, look, listen to the link. If you didn't get a chance to hear the whole program, it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Real estate broker Brian Edgel is the smart choice when it comes to finding someone to list and sell your home. He will get you the top dollar for your home, ensuring the fair and timely sale of your most important asset. The most expensive part of selling your home is the commission you pay to your broker. With Brian Edgel, you pay only 2.9% total commission. Right now, there are more buyers than sellers on the market, which puts you at an advantage. Get the most money out of your property now while the market is in your favor. Brian negotiates with buyers for you, using his experience as a broker, not an agent, to get you the highest price and the most advantageous terms possible. Make the smart choice. Sell your home with real estate broker Brian Edgel for only 2.9% total commission. Call Brian today at 800-969-3992. That's 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Brian Edgel, DRE 01391126, NMLS 1599100. My thanks again to Abel Pomar with Adelphi, formerly known as the Evangelical Christian Credit Union, for giving us a great Walk the Talk segment here as to what it means to literally do something with your faith, stewardship-wise, with the money that you have. Don't just drop it in one of those big banks and say, you know what, hey, I'm making interest, I got a good rate on my mortgage, I don't care, but rather say, wait a minute, every dollar, give it a name, realize where it came from, and use it to build the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God says, trust God in, uh, show God you're trustworthy with little and watch him bless you with a lot. Stewardship in action, walking the talk. That's the bottom line.